Welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries, and uh, I'm hosting alongside Jake Deemer. Jake, it's it's been a while since you and I have been on together. Welcome back. I guess welcome back for me as well, even though I was on last week. We each took a couple weeks off. Uh, how was your camping trip? That was good. It could have gone better because Liam Hendricks and Craig Kimbrell teamed up and I don't like that too much. Yeah, what a what an unfortunate landing spot for Kimbrell. Uh definitely did not foresee that one. But let's go ahead and jump right in because uh as I shared with the rest of the league, we're going to be actually releasing two episodes this week. This one is going to be our, you know, quote unquote normal episode where we do all of the weekly segments that you're used to listening to us talk about on, but we're also going to be releasing a bonus episode this week focused around the trade deadline. Um, you know, originally that was going to be our main segment, our feature segment for this week's episode, but there was so much to talk about that Jake and I felt like, um, we wanted to kind of make it its own episode and and give everybody a treat and really, uh, not feel pressure to get through it quickly and, and give it the, you know, so that we can actually give it the attention that it warrants. So let's go ahead and jump right in to our prior week recap, looking back at week 16, Jake, biggest upset. What did you have? Uh, I had Mike not hitting the median. Uh, he'd been the, as I shared in the group chat over July, I think last two months, uh, Mike had been the top scoring team. It looked like his team had been on a roll. And uh, yeah, it was kind of surprising to see him not hit the median this week because it, it seems like pretty consistently the top teams have been getting at least five of those top six spots. So it was surprising to see Mike being the odd man out being that he was the he was kind of the best of the best of the pack for the last couple of weeks. That's a good one that I did not pick that one. I ended up going with weak pullout hitter versus team C Deemer, Sam versus Courtney. This one wasn't that much of a surprise as all three of me, Mike and Nick picked this up a set upset on last week's episode, but I actually want to focus um, not so much on the upset and how it played out, but on changes that were made to both of these lineups since the beginning of last week's matchup. So on Sam's side, Anthony Rizzo and George Springer were his two highest scoring hitters in this matchup. Max Fried and Herman Marquez were his two highest scoring starting pitchers. And Liam Hendricks was his highest scoring reliever. And then on deadline day, Sam traded away Anthony Rizzo, George Springer, Max Fried, Herman Marquez, and Liam Hendricks. So Every area of his team, the you know the brightest stars that helped him beat Courtney this past week, he traded every single one of them away. And then on Courtney's side, Eric Haas was her highest scoring hitter, while Joe Musgrove was her highest scoring pitcher. And during the week, Courtney dropped Eric Haas and traded away Joe Musgrove. So these were two, or these were some interesting changes for what appear to be two of our eight playoff teams. I know that wasn't you know diving into the matchup so much itself, but I thought it was interesting that the you know the top scorers from both sides changed hands during the matchup. Biggest takeaway, Jake, what did you have for this? Uh, I had that you're going if you're a playoff team, you're going to have to at least score 250 points pretty much every week. Uh, it looks like that's kind of where the bar is. It might even be a little higher than that. And I'm not counting the median just because that's it, it. Like I said before, it seems like at least five of the top six teams seem to score above it every week. So 
I think that for the playoffs, if you're going to advance, you can't really have those down weeks where you score around 200. It's got to be up near 250 if you want to, if you want to keep advancing. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I guess one thing that we haven't really often mentioned is that the league median will be going away for the playoffs. It'll just be strictly head-to-head playoffs. So, you know, there's not much to fall back on. If you're the second highest scoring team in the league and you happen to lose to the first highest scoring team, we try to reduce that luck so that the best teams are getting into the playoffs. But that luck factor still kind of exists, I guess, head-to-head in our playoffs because it's no consolation if you finish ahead of, I don't know, three or four other playoff teams. But that is a good point. Um, Definitely want to be over that 250-point threshold. My biggest takeaway, I know I often uh, come across differently in our league group chat versus how I present myself here on the podcast. Normally, I don't really talk about my own team. Normally, I'm more humble about my team on the podcast here. But my biggest takeaway is that I am – number one in my own power rankings for our league coming away from last week. Since week nine, Jake, I am 14 and 0 and I've scored over that 250 point threshold that you just shared about every single week. And four of the six normal length matchups since week nine, I've scored over 300 points. And I'm, I say the normal length matchups because I'm excluding the extended matchup during the all-star break where I also cleared 300 but obviously that's less impressive because there were more games being played. Uh, and then in three of the four, three of the last four normal length matchups, I've actually been the number one scorer in the league. Uh, not only, you know, are those things speaking to me as, you know, I, my team's been really hot. It's been really impressive, but I think that my lineup improved at, at our trade deadline. The only starters from this most recent matchup that I dealt away were Nelson Cruz with the new starting lineup regular being Freddie Freeman and Brad Hand, who I shipped out but replaced by bringing in Will Smith and Kenley Jansen. I don't necessarily want to focus on the trades I made too much since we have an entirely separate episode dedicated to the deadline this week. But my larger point is that I feel like my team uh, that has been on a roll lately – I improved it at the deadline. So I expect the hot streak to continue wild card race update. So not too much of a change from last week. We have in the first wild card spot, the seventh overall seed, Jerwin team positivity. He has a record of 13 and 19 right behind him is Sam, the eighth seed, the second wild card right now He is the same record of 13 and 19. That is weak pullout hitter in ninth place. And one, you know, one spot back of a wild card, we have Brendan, the Sotola Shuffle. He has a record of 12 and 20. And then right behind them is Eddie. He is in the 10th place spot, which is you know two spots back of that second wild card. Team gone forever. He has a record of 10 and 22. So I think what you're seeing is, you know, the the two teams that actually earn a wild card spot, they're probably going to be neck and neck for the rest of the season. And even Brendan is right behind them but it's looking more and more like a three-man race. And I don't even know necessarily that it's going to be a three-man race past this week because Brendan really depleted his team at the trade deadline. So I think it's, it's becoming clearer that, you know, even though Sam sold, he and Jerwin are going to be the two clear cut uh, wildcard teams. So that's pretty interesting to note. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to be skipping our main segment today because we have a whole separate episode coming out. So we're going to jump right into Jake's standout player of the week. What do you got for us, Jake? All right, so my player of the week is Blake Snell. 
Uh, four innings pitch, seven hits, seven earned runs, four walks, and only one strikeout. Negative 17 and a half points this week. And uh, it's over. Blake Snell is a bum. He stinks, and he should not be started. Not started, not rostered either. Or are you still? Uh, uh, he is. He is well past the uh, the droppable threshold, in my opinion. Yeah. How do you feel about that in the dynasty league? How do you How are you feeling as a Blake Snell owner? I don't really have anybody to replace him with because all our pitchers are dead. That's true. That is true. Yeah, Blake Snell. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen. You know, if we're talking about in the prime of of their career, I don't know that I've ever seen a pitcher that didn't get, you know, like have a major injury that won a Cy Young award so young. And yet a couple years later, while that pitcher was still young has just been so awful. I'm sure there have been guys like that, but I can't remember any, but it's just crazy how he's literally been the best pitcher in his respective league at one point, which was only like two or three years ago. And now He's barely rosterable, let alone startable. So shame for Blake Snell. And he besides that, besides his Cy Young year, did he even have a year where he was you could consider like an ace pitcher? Because I can't think of one. Not an ace, definitely not an ace. He, I think, in the very next season, uh, in 2019, I think he was like a he was a startable pitcher, but definitely not an ace. I wouldn't even go as far as to say that outside of his AL Cy Young year that he has been a must-start pitcher, <laughs> which is, I don't know. I don't want to say he, like he did, he did have uh, some good luck the year that he won. Cause I think he had like a 189 ERA and his left on base percentage, like his strand rate with runners on base was pretty high. Like I think he was among the league leaders. So he did get a little bit lucky, but nobody was questioning the skill that Blake Snell showed the year that he won AL Cy Young. Like I know that one of the very first years that we played fantasy, you remember Rick Porcello winning the Cy Young with all those wins in Boston. Everybody knew like, even though Rick Porcello won the Cy Young that year, nobody was considering Rick Porcello an ace or really like a SP two for fantasy. I don't really think that anybody questioned the skill behind the performance for Blake Snell. They did say, you know, everybody kind of saw he was getting a little bit lucky, but still kind of backed it up with the skill that he was showing. But yeah, man, just a pretty much a complete bottoming out for Blake Snell since that year. And uh, yeah, it's spells trouble for anybody that owns him, you know, in our redraft league or slash keeper league, I guess you would call it. Or in in your case, in Dynasty, it's just not not what you want to see out of Blake Snell. Let's. Uh, I know we're moving through this episode pretty quickly, but we should have again a longer one in the next, the bonus episode, if you will. Let's get into our matchup preview. Uh, looking ahead to Week 17, I'll go ahead and lead us off with my best matchup. I have Big Money Mike versus Team C Deemer, Mike versus Courtney. This seems to be our only quote unquote matchup of the Titans this week. If you're looking at the standings, and you know first place team versus a third place team so naturally i felt like it was a pretty good fit for best matchup courtney has up to eight potential starts when i was counting while mike can only max out at six but i do like mike's offense more which made this a really difficult matchup to pick a winner for 
This matchup will be especially interesting because Mike will be without his biggest star on offense after Fernando Tatis Jr. was placed on the IL with yet another shoulder dislocation. Um, since I don't have, well, I guess I, I don't have it planned for our news and notes section, even though we do have a news and notes this week for the first time in a couple weeks, I did not include anything about Tatis in there. So Jake, I'm actually going to ask you impromptu here, how concerned are you about the shoulder for Fernando Tatis Jr.? Uh, there's a lot of little muscles in that shoulder. And if something's out of whack, you can, I mean, you can see it with Bellinger, who's recovering from a shoulder injury that sometimes it takes a while to get right, even after you're supposedly healed. So yeah, it's, it's concerning. I know that surgery is on the table this time, whereas before I don't think that it really was discussed too seriously. Do you think, I think that the, the exact quote from Jace Tingler, the Padres manager was, if he's not better after the first 10 days on the injured list, that they're just going to shut him down and get him the surgery. If you were a betting man, do you think that Tatis will be back or that ultimately he'll be shut down this time and, and get the surgery? Uh, I think I would bet on the surgery because it already seems like rest hasn't really worked. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Um, I am newly a Tatis owner in Dynasty, so that is what I am hoping for. Hopefully for Mike, you know, here in our Keeper League, that is not the case because obviously Tatis is probably the most important piece on his team. So he is not hoping for Fernando Tatis to be shut down and get surgery early this season, but um, I think it ultimately might be better for him long-term for his health. So we will see what happens with that. What was your best matchup for this coming week, Jake? I had the same one. There wasn't a... I mean, you could say Jarwin versus Nick is another good matchup, but uh, Mike and Courtney, I think, is definitely the, the better one. I don't have really much to add beyond what you said on the on the matchup itself. Yep, that's a good. That's another good matchup to note. That was the other one that I was considering was Team Positivity versus Pine Run Market, um, but ultimately, we both went with Mike versus Courtney. So, thing to watch for. My thing to watch for this coming week is which team will come out of the deadline strong. The rosters are all but set as we get into the, you know, the real home stretch before playoffs. We have three weeks left and the time to get hot and on a roll is right now. So I'm interested to see if any teams will perform below expectations or way over their heads in the final weeks of the season. I will admit that the clear cut top three that I mentioned a while back no longer seems appropriate as I could realistically see any one of five different teams go on a crazy run and cause some trouble for everyone else. Jake, what is your thing to watch for? Uh, My thing to watch for is Mike's brand new team. Uh, He made a lot of noise at the deadline. He traded literally half his roster. He actually moved 13 players and got 13 players in return, so that would be half of our 26-man roster. Uh, I don't know if I would have gone that extreme just because his team was playing well beforehand, and uh, half your roster is kind of decimating that team, so I don't. it's not, definitely not the same team that it was before. So I guess we'll, uh, we'll see how the brand-new team does this week against, uh, against Courtney. Does it surprise you at all that Mike moved half of his team? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah, it didn't surprise me much either. Um, matchup predictions. Jake, I uh, I had a pretty strong week last week when you missed. I know you said you had to uh, take a week off so that I could catch up to you and, and get the same number of 
predictions on the season. I had a really strong week. I went six and zero, so now my record sits at fifty-one and twenty-one, and you have a record on the season of forty-six and twenty-six. So let's see. Um, I'll go first with every matchup this week to give you the benefit of the doubt. How do how do you, how does that sound? That works for me. All right. So in our first uh, matchup this week, we have Jake's fantasy baseball team versus team no name, Jake versus Scott. I have you winning this matchup. Probably not a surprise to you. Who do you have winning? No. Yeah, I can't go bold enough to pick Scott here. Yeah, I didn't think so. The second matchup is the one that both of us had for matchup of the week. It is Big Money Mike versus Team C Deemer. I have Big Money Mike winning this one despite the shakeup in his roster. Do you have a different result? Uh, I think Courtney's going to win this one. Mike doesn't have Tatis, and I, I don't really know how his roster is going to be with the shakeup. I mean, I think it'll still be good, but that is a lot of turnover to, to have. Sure. Okay. The third matchup of the week, the Soto list shuffle versus number one contender. That is me versus Brendan. I have, like I said earlier, my team continuing the hot streak. So I have number one contender in this one. What do you have, Jake? Uh, I have the same thing. Okay. And on our honorable mention, best matchup of the week, team positivity versus Pine Run Market, Nick versus Jerwin. I have Pine Run Market winning this one. Jake, who did you have winning? I'm going with Jerwin here. He was able to score pretty well last week despite leaving a reliever in a starter spot. So I believe in the in the rebound now that he's actually going to get some some more volume. Fair enough. In our fifth matchup of the week, we have weak pullout hitter versus gone forever. That is Sam versus Eddie. I have, you know, even though he sold a lot of his pieces, I still have Sam winning this matchup. What do you have? Uh, I'll go with Eddie here. I think it'll be close. I'll, I need to make up some ground. I was going to say, it sounds like you pivoted off of your actual pick there. I did. That's fine. Uh, I guess a good matchup to you know make an impromptu pivot because Sam did sell, like I said, six or seven of his top pieces from last week's win that he got over Courtney. So I guess if any, there was any week to pick an upset where Sam's team was the favorite, it would be this week where his team tangibly got weaker since last week's matchups. And Eddie didn't do a lot of selling himself, so no, he still he has most of his win-now pieces. And I would actually argue that Herman Marquez is even more of an important 2021 piece than Cedric Mullins. I know that he's a keeper, so I, I did really like the trade that he made with Nick. But you know, I could even make the argument that if Herman Marquez was not a keeper... I think he might be more valuable to Eddie's team with the state of pitching that he has right now than Cedric Mullins is. Cause I think Mullins has cooled off as of late. So that'll be an yeah, interesting. I, I kind of agree with you there. I, I like that trade a lot. Our last matchup of the week, we have JC hashtag $50 by 2022 versus pretty petite princesses. I'd be surprised if you had a different pick than me here. I went with JC in this matchup. Yeah, I'm not going to pick. Jordan's team this week. I don't think. You don't want to make up ground that badly and, and risk. No, I don't think getting even I don't think Jordan did his start every pitcher possible this week. And that's really the hard. only way. It's it worked for him against Courtney, but I mean it did take like half her lineup getting injured for that to work. Yeah. For that upset to, for that upset to happen. Right. So let's get into the around the league portion of our podcast. Moving through this episode pretty quickly, but I guess that's good. So, Jake, give us your league history fact of the week. 
All right, I know that you mentioned that we did have the first official uh, three-way trade this week, but that was only because of the plat- our previous platform didn't allow it. Our first official three-way trade came in 2017, and uh, credit to Sam because he was the one who helped me uh, find these. He doesn't uh, – it's these emails that ESPN used to send out. Uh, they were still in his inbox or in his deleted emails. I don't know, but he was able to pull them up for me. So here was the first three-way trade that we had in league history. Happened at the trade deadline of that year. Jerwin got Michael Brantley, Sonny Gray, and Sean Manaya. I got Madison Bumgarner, Will Myers, Yoan Moncada, and David Robertson. Brendan got Carlos Carrasco, Cody Bellinger, Brad Peacock, and Carlos Santana. That is uh, interesting. I I wish I knew off the top. Like for some reason, for as long as we've played fantasy baseball, I can remember things about individual players. Like if I'm looking at a guy, like I know Cody Bellinger won National League Rookie of the Year 2017. He was the MVP in 2019. So like I can, you know, shoot from the hip things about individual players. But when you like spit out six or seven players as you just did for a three-way trade i can't i couldn't even begin to tell you who won that trade who got crushed in that trade because i don't know what the context like we know how those guys all are now but i can't remember at the time in 2017 obviously bellinger was rookie of the year so whoever got him did well if i if i can break it down a little bit from what i remember brantley was good but i believe he got hurt and all three of the guys that Jerwin got were potential keepers. Sonny Gray was supposed to be the big, the big dog in that trade where he was this big centerpiece, but he got traded to the Yankees and like immediately stunk. Yeah, and that was after, guy. unfortunately that was after that trade deadline. Cause that one happened earlier that and the MLB trade lot deadline happened after. So Jerwin thought he was getting A's Sonny Gray. And really he ended up getting Yankees Sonny Gray and it was, wasn't very good. Uh, that was the Madison Bumgarner dirt bike year. So before that, he had been like a top five pitcher. And after that, he was not really the same. So he didn't really help me that much that year. Uh, but Brendan had actually got Carrasco. Carrasco, was, I believe, was really good. And then obviously Bellinger was. So Brendan got the the best end of that trade for sure. Thank you for providing the context. So that was our first ever three-way trade. And like Jake mentioned, ESPN did not allow you to make uh, a trade with two other teams all in one, which hasn't really affected us as a league with a trade limit yet because the only three-way trades we've ever done have all been on deadline day. I think we've done like, what, three to four total now? Does that sound right, Jake, in league history? Yeah, I think that's that sounds right. I don't I don't know them off the top of my head, but I, I just know, know the first one. I'm pretty sure me, Brendan, and Sam did one last year. So I actually think Brendan has been involved in every three way trade that we've seen in league history, which is interesting in and of itself. I mean, actually, I did one with uh, Justin and Courtney in 2019. I want to say. Okay, so Brendan has not been involved in every one of them, but. Usually we've seen one per year, so I think four sounds right in total league history. But uh, yeah, I want to say worry. Brennan was involved in another one too. I don't remember what it was. I would believe it. 
Um, we don't have to worry about necessarily saving trades through three-way deals moving forward since obviously we have abolished the trade limit in future seasons, but I still think it's nifty because, like I said, I think every three-way trade we've ever done in this league has been on trade deadline day where nobody has to pay trade fees. So obviously there's still there's still value in executing a deal with three or more teams. So plus it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely fun. There's there's definitely the appeal of like I was involved in one of the most interesting trades of the year. So that brings us to week 12 of our weekly sports book segment. So Jordy of the General, take us away. What is up everybody? We're back. Another week of the sports book. I am uh I'm in a slump right now. It's uh, it's been tough. I went two and three in my locks last week. Um, first time all season with back to back losing weeks. I'm in a little bit of a funk. Um, it's tough, especially with how good I felt about my picks last week. I know I say that every week, but I felt so good about them, and I let myself down. Eddie let me down. Courtney let me down. It was just just an overall disaster, but. It's okay because we're going to bounce back this week as we dig into uh, our Week 17 matchups. Uh, a couple I'm going to preview real quick first is um, Jake minus 100 against Scott. Total 500 points. Um, this is the first time ever that someone has been favored by 100 points or more. Um, Jake has a lot of his studs going twice. I saw, I think, uh, Walker Bueller, Garrett Cole, maybe a couple others going twice. Um, I I. I think it's possible. I think it's possible that Jake could cover this. I think it's a, a monster of a spread, but um, if anyone can do it, I think it's Jake's team as he's proven time and time again that he can beat uh, the top teams, the bad teams, uh, pretty pretty badly. He doesn't play down his competition. Um, next week, next week at next matchup, my, my bad, uh, we got my matchup against Justin. Justin minus 65 against me. Total 475. Um this is probably the, the third or fourth time I've said this on this show, but Justin um, has trouble finding consistency. Um, if you go back and look at the scores, um, above the median, below the median, above the median, below the median, um, he's, he's having trouble going above the, above the median consistently. He had an, an incredible, week, um, incredible week last week uh, covering his spread pretty easily, being, uh, I think, the, uh, the number two scoring team. Um, so is he, is he due for his, his usual bad week if he continues his trend? Um, may, maybe. I don't know. I think that Justin uh, – I think my team's um, obviously struggling. I think Justin has a much better team with me. So I could definitely see him covering this, uh, this 65-point spread here. I think it's definitely in his realm of potential. Regardless of maybe I, have a te- I could have a terrible week and he could still finish below the median and cover this. Um, but, yeah, we're going to get into the locks. Like I said before, I'm very nervous that I'm losing steam. Um, maybe the, the power has been going down. The magic is running out, but uh, that's going to change this week. We dig into these locks here. First, my favorite, Sam minus 11 against Eddie. Um, Eddie got rid of his, his good pieces. Um, I guess Sam did a little bit too, but I think that Eddie took a little bit more of a hit. Um, and this being a pretty close spread here, that's why I tend to, tend to lane Sam here. I think Sam... So has a lot of his core intact. Um, my underdog, Nick plus eight. Um, last week was the first time that Nick did not finish above the median since week 11. 
I think that he's going to overcome the positivity uh, and he's going to get right back in the win column here with a win against Jaron and a win over the median. Uh, my over, I'm going to stick with Sam and Eddie's matchup. Uh, Eddie let me down in the over last week, but I think he's going to redeem himself and give me this lock. Um, Sam and Eddie over 492 points. Um, pretty pretty average size spread. I think it's like the fourth highest or so. So it's not terribly large. Um, I don't know if these two teams are going to really uh, show up this week, but I think it's definitely in the realm of possibility to hit this 492 points. I'm going to stick uh, with another one I previewed earlier, Jake and Scott, under 500 points. Like I said before, Jake has a lot of pitchers going twice, um, but Scott's team has had a lot of trouble putting up points. So can Jake um, really is going to have to push this thing in order for it to get the over. I think he has the willpower to do it, but I think that um, Scott might lag behind a little bit, which will really drag him down. Lastly, the, uh, the under under 269 points a hit again last week um as it does just about every week um we've been dominating it here on this segment it's been one of my consistent winners and i'm going to continue to um continue to hit the ender but yeah i got a i got a good slate this time i think this is my my uh i'm going to break out of my slump here i'm i'm, I'm rooting for my boys here to to come in and lift me up here because otherwise I'm, I'm really going to be in trouble here i'm going to have to go back to the drawing board but um yeah we'll be back for another episode next week uh back to you guys that was jordy the general's weekly sports book thank you jordan jake let's get into our news and notes and uh close out this pretty brief episode so star shortstop trevor story and i'm using this as a relative term to their own rotation stable rotation leader john gray were not traded by the Colorado Rockies, despite being on expiring contracts. And this is a quote from their interim GM, Bill Schmidt. He said, with what we were offered, we thought the competitive balance pick was better suited for us and we could have Trevor on our team for another two months. So if, for some of you guys that may not know, um, the Rockies can extend a qualifying offer to Trevor's story when he hits free agency this offseason, and if he rejects that qualifying offer, they will be compensated with a pick. I think it's after the first round. Does that sound right? Or after the second round, something like that? I think it's after the first round, but I, I want to say it has, has to do with how much they sign for. Okay. So not a top 30 pick, um, in other words. But if, if Trevor Story were to reject the Rockies offer, which he will, because the Rockies are not going to be good anytime soon, and I'm sure he wants to go to a competitor, they will get a compensatory pick. So the Rockies GM is saying um, if we didn't trade him, we get another two months of him, and we get a pick. So he thought that was better. Going forward, Bill Schmidt, the GM, doesn't believe a big rebuild is in the cards for the Rockies. He says, quote, I truly believe in my heart that this is a very talented team that underperformed the last couple of years. I'm not even going to count last year because it was a difficult year, but I think we underperformed, end quote. Jake, I'm being totally serious when I ask this question. Would I do a better job at managing this team than Bill Schmidt? Yeah, this is pretty bad. And I know that they, it looked like, like Trevor Story himself was even, like it seemed from what he said that he was told that he was going to be traded and he seemed like he was totally fine with that. And then he seemed like he didn't know what happened as to why he was still a Rocky based on what he said after the deadline had passed and he was still there. 
So I, I don't really believe Schmidt when he said that I, I when he says what, what he says, I just he, he screwed up and now he's kind of spin it as a positive. I heard word was going around on baseball Twitter, not just fantasy baseball Twitter, but like actual baseball reporters that the Rockies front office felt like they couldn't um, optically look like they lost a trade for Trevor story. And that was a big motivator for why they actually didn't trade him away is because they didn't want to face the backlash from Rockies fans after they had been crushed for trading Nolan Arenado and sending $50 million for his contract to the St. Louis Cardinals and not even really getting anything substantial back from them. So basically he said, or the belief was going around Twitter that I guess it had come from the Rockies front office that they said they don't want to trade or they didn't want to trade Trevor story at this deadline because they felt like they wouldn't have gotten enough to satisfy fans, which was really interesting in my opinion. There's a report that they lowered their asking price like in that, within like an hour left. Yeah, and then story. There, there's also the factor that apparently a bunch of teams thought that Trevor Story was hurt. He's had a elbow issue that I think he was on the IL for earlier in the season. And the velocity on his throws from shortstop to first base, I guess, has dropped um, from the beginning of the season. And he's actually hitting worse than league a- than a league average hitter even at home at Coors Field where, you know, that's the best park for offense. So I think that the combination of those two things probably substantiated the doubts that teams had about him being healthy. Um, But following up on what you said about Trevor Story being confused and frustrated after not being traded, the MLB trade deadline was this past Friday at 4 p.m. And the Rockies played later that night and it came out actually after the game had started that Trevor story took himself out of the lineup. Cause he was so frustrated that he didn't get traded. So not, not a good look uh, from any viewpoint that Trevor story in particular didn't get traded. I know I mentioned John gray. He has been probably the third best pitcher on the Rockies this year behind her mom, Marquez and Austin Gomber, but he was also on an expiring contract. So they didn't really trade any of their guys. They obviously did a very big disservice to the organization. When, when he says a team has underperformed the last couple of years, like what is he talking about? You can't underperform over like three or four seasons. It's not a thing. Your team, that just means your team sucks. Yeah. And the, the quote that really got me in all of this where it was, he said, I'm not even going to count last year because it was a difficult year. It's not so much that, I disagree that last year was very different from any other MLB season. It's that you can't be incompetent for a long stretch of time and then give yourself the benefit of the doubt for, oh, this stretch of incompetence didn't count. Like, I I don't know, man. I, I think that he should be fired on the spot for not trading story, for not trading John Gray. Like maybe, they, I don't know about John Gray so much because I have heard that they want to bring him back and re-sign him and that John Gray is interested in re-signing too. But not trading story, saying these dumb things, Bill Schmidt is just not a good GM. And I feel sorry for Rockies fans. I know there are none around here, but they exist somewhere. Let's talk about the last piece of news, or I guess note. 10 players who made the 2021 All-Star team were traded this season. That is the most all-stars to change teams in a single season ever. This list included Nelson Cruz, Max Scherzer, Adam Frazier, Craig Kimbrell, 
Eduardo Escobar, Trey Turner, Joey Gallo, Kyle Gibson, Kyle Schwarber, and Chris Bryant. Not even included in this list were notable players such as Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Richard Rodriguez, John Lester, J.A. Happ, Andrew Heaney, Jorge Soler, Nick Madrigal, Eddie Rosario, Jose Barrios, Danny Duffy, and Brad Hand. And even that list doesn't include top prospects dealt before the trade deadline, which I know some of you guys may not be into prospects, but for those of you that are, this list includes Austin Martin, Simeon Woods Richardson, Spencer Howard, Anderson Espinoza, Pete Crow Armstrong, Hybert Ruiz, and Josiah Gray. Jake, is it fair to say that this was the most exciting trade deadline in Major League Baseball history? At least the most exciting I could remember. Yeah, I haven't paid attention to baseball probably before, I want to say like 2015, 2016. But some of the other baseball writers that I listen to that have been in the industry for like 20, 25 years now said that it's the most exciting deadline that they can remember since starting to cover baseball. So I would imagine if there hasn't been a more exciting deadline going back 20 or 25 years that they probably weren't, you know, there probably wasn't this much action back in 1970 or whatever it would have to be then to be, you know, to top this one in 2021. Is this level of excitement something that we should come to expect in future years, given that the trade deadline is now a hard deadline where previously waiver trades were still permissible in the month of August? So we saw more small deals happen leading up to this trade deadline. Typically, those would have happened in the past in the month of August after the July trade deadline had passed. Yeah, I think that this is, I don't know about to this level, because this was a lot. I mean, there were a lot of good players that moved, and I don't I don't think I, I mean, I had never seen anything like it, but with the August deadline being gone, and now this being like a hard deadline, and yeah, this is the last chance for teams to, like, this is the last, last chance, and teams know it, to improve or send away their guys. So I, I do think that more activity is going to be the new, the new norm. Yeah, I would agree more activity will be the new norm. I don't know about to the extent of like 10 all-stars being traded. I think that that just happened to be, I don't want to call it luck because it's a weird way to describe it, but it just happened by chance that there were a lot of big, big name players on expiring contracts to be moved this season. I don't know, you know, how that list of players will stack up next year or the year after, but I think it's fair to say that, Years such as this, where it's just an absolutely nuts deadline, will happen in the future. I wouldn't say to expect it every year, but I think uh, it would be fair to expect a lot of big names at least every couple years, you know, for there to be a crazy trade deadline. So I'm looking forward to that as a baseball fan. I loved this trade deadline and I love the fact that it coincided with our league's trade deadline. I think that's uh, I know we mentioned in our league constitution, like we have a, a specific range where we have our fantasy trade deadline, I think. And I might make a, make an official proposal to the league that we should try to always put our fantasy trade deadline around the same exact week or day or, you know, however close we can manage to get it to the real life trade deadline. I think it was a, a real treat for us as fantasy players to experience both of those things at once. Yeah, I mean it's it, with the trade deadline not being a thing anymore. I before it's really I, we gave ourselves a range just because 
like you want everybody to be available or you want uh, the most amount of people possible to be available, but that's not really, it's not really a big deal anymore because you can trade as many times as you want before the trade deadline. Sure. So that will bring us to the end of episode 18 of the Best Player Wins Fantasy Baseball podcast. We will be coming out with a bonus episode that Jake and I are actually going to be recording right after this. Not sure which order these will be posted in. I'm guessing this one will be posted first. So uh, if you're listening to this first, then be on the lookout for the bonus episode being posted. Who knows? Maybe Eddie will post them both at the same time. But yeah, uh, look forward to that. And I'm looking forward to it myself. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to record. So thanks for listening, and we will catch you guys in the bonus episode. Eert. <laughs>